Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930 in Chico, California. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words then yes, I guess you can say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. This book shares the same name as the program, What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishers. Each week we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's essay is Near the Cross by Fanny Crosby, who was an American mission worker, poet, lyricist, and composer. She was a prolific hymnist, writing over 9,000 compositions. By the end of the 19th century, she was a household name. With that, let's read the hymn Near the Cross by Fanny Crosby. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There is a precious fountain, free to all. A healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. Near the cross, I watch and wait, hoping, trusting, ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. That ends the hymn, Near the Cross, by Fanny Crosby, uh, included in the book, What the Cross Means to Me. Now, there is a poem that accompanies accompanies this hymn by Martin Luther. It says, The cross of Christ runs through the whole of scripture. Now, the image or the photo accompanying this essay is the Passover. This image is of a very close up angle of the cross, not because I'm standing right next to it with a wide angle. I'm not. I'm using what's called a zoom lens. And if I recall correctly, the composition was about 160 millimeters. I was shooting up, could have been 120. I was shooting up as if I was laying down and shooting with a horizontal orientation, which is very rare for me as probably 98 to 99% of my cross collection and most of my uh, inspirational imagery are shot vertically. Yet this horizontal image or this horizontal approach makes the image uh, feel um, a sense of the broader version of the motion of the clouds meaning it was shot long enough after sunset to allow me to take a long enough exposure, but then bump up the exposure um, to, you know, create the right uh, light 
adequately. Uh, the effect of this technique is a, an enhancement of the illusion of fast-moving clouds behind the still cross. Yes, the clouds are moving, but the way I shot this image highlights that movement passing by the immovable cross. As if the generations and ages of time fly by the cross, the inspiration for the name was not referring to the Hebrew holiday, no. To me, this, Im this image illustrates the fleeting nature of our life. The disciple James, in James 4.14, says, Your life is like a mist, a vapor, a puff of smoke. You can see it. It appears for a short time, but then it goes away. In Ecclesiastes 1.2, King Solomon says, Life is fleeting like a passing mist. It is like trying to catch a hold of a breath. All vanishes like a vapor. So to me, the clouds in this image are like our life, fleeting and ever moving, and yet the cross is solid, secure, and steadfast. When you feel like a feather in the currents of the wind, tossed about by the turbulence, seek the shielded, sanctified, and safety in the shadow of the cross of Christ. The cross is immovable across the ages, a firm, safe harbor in any storm that we may find ourselves in life. Technically and artistically, the Passover is not one of my best images, but because of this interpretation of the composition, it is one of my favorites. And it does relate to this week's devotional. My encouragement, inspired from this Passover image, is no matter how fast and furious the storms of life are, draw near to the cross. This hymn for this section of the book is titled Near the Cross by Fanny Crosby. Now, before I worked on publishing the book, I had no idea who Fanny Crosby was or her crucial role in the modern Christian faith and even American history. Maybe if I had become a worship leader instead of a photographer, I would have heard about her earlier. And since she became such a pillar of the American Christian movement, I thought I should share more. I found an article in Christianity Today that details Fanny's life, which ran from 1820 to 1915. Francis Jane Crosby wrote more than 9,000 hymns, some of which were among the most popular in every Christian denomination. She wrote so many that she was forced to use a pen name, lest the hymnals be filled with only her name and no others. For most people, the most remarkable thing about her was she had done all this work in spite of her blindness. I think it a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many gifts upon you, remarked a well-meaning preacher. Fanny Crosby responded at once as it she had heard these comments before and said, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I would be born blind, said the poet, who had been able to see only for her first six weeks of life. She continued, Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. She was blinded by a quack, very early in life. She became ill within two months of life, and unfortunately, the family doctor was away. There was another man pretending to be a certified doctor who treated her by prescribing hot mustard poultices be applied to her eyes. Her illness eventually relented, but the treatment left her blind. When the doctor was revealed to be a quack, he disappeared, 
A few months later, Crosby's father died. Her mother was forced to find work as a live-in maid to support the family, and Fanny was mostly raised by her Christian grandmother. Her love of poetry began early. Her first verse, written at age eight, echoed her lifelong refusal to feel sorry for herself. Quote, Oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people's don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind. I cannot, I won't. While she enjoyed her poetry, she zealously memorized the Bible, memorizing five chapters a week. Even as a child, she could recite the Pentateuch, the Gospels, the Proverbs, and the Song of Solomon, and even many Psalms, chapter and verse. Her mother's hard work paid off. Shortly before her 15th birthday, Crosby was sent to the recently founded New York Institute for the Blind, which would be her home for 23 years, 12 as a student and 11 as a teacher. She initially indulged her own poetry and was called upon to pen verses for various occasions. In time, the principal asked her to avoid such distractions in favor of her general instruction. We have no right to be vain in the presence of the owner and creator of all things, he said. It was the work of a traveling phrenologist, one who studies the shape and irregularities of the skull for insights into character and mental capacity, that changed the school's mind and again ignited her passion. Though his study is now the ridicule of science, the phrenologist's words were to prove prophetic. Here is a poetess. Give her every possible encouragement. Read the best books to her and teach her in the finest that is in poetry. You will hear from this young lady someday. Now, it didn't take long. By age 23, Crosby was addressing Congress, making friendships with presidents. In fact, she knew all the chief executives of her lifetime, especially Grover Cleveland, who served as the secretary for the Institute for the Blind before his election. Another member of the Institute, former pupil Alexander Val Alstein, married Crosby in 1858, considered to be one of New York's best organists. He wrote the music to many of Crosby's hymns. Crosby herself put music to only a few of her compositions, though she did play the harp, piano, guitar, and many other instruments. More often, musicians came to her for lyrics. One day, William Dewan dropped by her home for a surprise visit, begging her to put some words to a tune he had recently written and was going to perform at an upcoming Sunday school convention. The only problem was that the train was leaving in 35 minutes. He sat at the piano and played the tune. Your music, she said, says, safe in the arms of Jesus. And Crosby went to scribbling out the hymn's words immediately. She said, read it on the train and hurry, don't want to be late. That hymn became one of Crosby's most famous. Although she was under contract to submit three hymns a week to her publisher and often wrote six or seven a day for a dollar or two each, many became incredibly popular. When Dwight Moody and Ira Sankey began to use them in the Crusades, they received even more attention. Among them are Blessed Assurance, All the Way, My Savior Leads Me, to God be the glory, pass me not, O gentle Savior, safe in the arms of Jesus, rescue the perishing, 
and Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. She could write very complex hymns and compose music with more classical structure, and she could even improvise, but she preferred to write simple, sentimental verses that could be used for evangelism. She continued to write her poetry up to her death, a month shy of her 95th birthday. She wrote, You will reach the riverbank some sweet day, by and by, was her last stanza. And that ends the article. Now, after reading Fanny's bio, I am blown away by such an amazing life and what inspiration her life can be for all of us. Many Christians are to be, are perceived to be, and I believe are very blessed, but unfruitful. And even though placed in optimal climate with the richest soil and the most caring attention of a great gardener, meaning a good pastor or shepherd, or even the ultimate vine dresser, father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, some Christians are still unfruitful. And yet, people like Fanny Crosby with a legitimate handicap serve the Lord with what they do have and are incredibly fruitful. Look at Joni Erickson Tata, who became a full-body paraplegic. I believe it was a swimming accident. Yet, she still had her voice, and she wrote songs and released many Christian albums. She also had a fully functional mouth and used it to hold a brush and painted some beautiful works of art. Some that really resonate with me as, their comp- as they are compositions that I am drawn to. Majestic skyscapes with light streaming through the clouds. And she also had her brain, a healthy brain, and published many books. Now, in the light of Johnny Erickson Tata and Fanny Crosby, ask, let me ask and you answer yourself. Have you been as fruitful as you can be? Why or why not? What do you have that could be used to guide new souls into the kingdom of God? I had this discussion with a lady who was born and raised Christian, yet told me that she possessed nothing of importance, had no talent overall, and could not see where or how to evangelize. And since I have not mentioned this earlier, a main component of being fruitful is to plant water or harvest new souls into a joyful existence of living in the kingdom of God here on earth. So keep that paradigm in mind when I say that this lady felt quite sure she had nothing in her makeup to be fruitful. So I thought about it and I said, do you have a smile? After a pause and a twinkle in her eyes, she said, yes. I said, good, go and use that smile to distinguish yourself as a follower of Christ. I reminded her of what Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love another. He continues, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I encouraged her not just to smile at everyone she meets, but to love them through the smile and a smile that comes through the eyes and even invisibly through her heart. As I could not, as I could read her body language, and that she was trying to uh, vision, you know, I was able to see that she was trying to apply my words. I continued sharing one of Mo- Mother Teresa's most loved texts, which is Matthew 25, 40, and verse 45. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, whatever you've done for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done for me. For those of you who know about Mother Teresa's ministry, this verse encapsulates her mission. What does this mean? The lady asked me. I said, 
human beings have, spiritually speaking, the same inherent worth or value because they all have the same nature, namely a human nature. In other words, all humans are made in the image of God. I told her my pastor used to say that there is a God-shaped place in the heart of every person that only God can fill. And if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then when you truly love the person you just met, you are sharing the love of Christ through you to them. Referring back to John 13, 34, through sharing evangelical love, genuine evangelical love for someone, even though it is just your smile and your demeanor, will, even if subconsciously at first, set you apart as a follower of Jesus. You never know at what phase of life that person you just met might be at. There may be nothing yet, and so your loving smile may plant a seed. Or maybe the seed's there, and you um, come across this sprout in, in his or her life, and your loving smile may be nourishing water. And your loving smile may be part of a bigger picture of the harvesting of that soul. Or if you are open to it, that loving smile may lead to a conversation about that person and their hurts and hopes, and may lead to the crescendo question of if they like to know the love and joy of Jesus and have their sins forgiven. I could tell the lady seemed hesitant about visualizing herself asking such a question. Then I shared about my mom, who was saved after a multi-year addiction to heroin and who never graduated from high school. And from some perspectives of some people, yes, truly had nothing of note to offer. Nothing except the love of Christ. The love of Christ that was flowing through her. Those who knew my mom had to admit her joy was undeniable. I saw her when I was growing up as a child, how her joy touched people's lives to pretty much everyone she met. And my mom never flinched when the opportunity revealed itself and she would simply ask, would you like to feel the love of Jesus and to be free of your sins and to be healed today? And even though the lady that I was talking to was having a hard time comparing herself to my mom, but I I, I asked her, okay, so what's the worst that could happen? They could simply say no. But trust me, the Holy Spirit will then resonate that question in their mind and in their soul long after your interaction with that person. The point is, you were a conduit of that seed either being planted, watered, or eventually harvested. So all of us Christians are called to, and many have ways to be evangelically fruitful. Every Christian listening to this broadcast have the ability to share a loving smile with everyone you meet. The point is, if you intend to, you can share the gospel to those you meet, even without saying a word. You can use any or all of the parts of who you are. The you that God knew you in the womb, you. (laughs) The you that God knew in the womb, the one in a million you, the rarest of the rare you. And when you do, don't try to overdo it, or see results right away. Just love others, trusting the Holy Spirit will take it from there. And beyond that, having faith that your little watering of the seedling was a part of that plant eventually bearing fruit, which means your life is bearing fruit. That said, let's get back to the hymn for this week's devotional, Near the Cross. In the first sentence of the hymn, Fanny asks Jesus to, quote, Keep me near the cross, unquote. 
And for those of you who know my cross collection and my story around it, I resonate with this request because after I found that low, lonely white cross on that remote hill, it became my secret place, my hiding place, and my personal prayer closet with the most majestic view. I felt I kept finding myself returning to the cross as I was working through what being a young adult widower meant and what type of new man in Christ I was to become. I used to imagine while right there, alone on a ridge, 200 feet above sea level, in front and alone in front of an actual wooden cross. And I would play in my mind the events that transpired that Good Friday. And many times in my meditations, I still do. I like to set aside a block of time and read through and then visualize and meditate through the various scenes and scenes within scenes of that cross story. Each one, as a standalone scene, has symbolism, a lesson for us to understand and apply in our Christian journey. So keep an awareness of the cross story and the scenes of the cross in your heart and mind. I can share from personal experience, your resolve to avoid and not to dwell on temptation is strengthened when you keep your mind on Christ and on the cross. The second through third line state, there is a precious fountain free to all. A healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. This section to me refers to the living water that Jesus told the Samaritan woman about at Jacob's well. John 4 gives us the account of Jesus' encounter with the unholy Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. Jesus skillfully shows her that she needs the living water that only he can give. It's the same basic message with a different metaphor, but in John 4:14 4, he says, "But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life." One of the wonderful things about the gospel is that Jesus brings and meets the basic needs that all people have. And it reminds me that in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus taught that man does not live by bread alone. Rather, he lives on every word that comes from the mouth of the eternal one. The fundamental basics of the word, the Bible, and the water of the Holy Spirit through prayer and meditation, this healing water remedies hurts of the past as well as the pain of everyday disappointments. Whatever you go through, always make time to replenish yourself. Make time for the nourishment of God's word and make time for the ingress of his holy water, his holy spirit through prayer and daily meditation. Then in lines five through seven, Fanny writes, quote, in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall rest beyond the river, unquote. Sometimes we get kudos for the work we do for the Lord. Yet in ministry, and I contend in life, we should always remember Galatians 6.14, boasting on nothing, let yet the cross alone. And instead of letting the focus be on us, allow it to be on the cross, which is the focal point of the great love behind life itself. Praying that all our efforts can bring with us as many souls as possible until our time on earth is complete and you are able to go across that river 
the proverbial Jordan River into the promised land and eternal rest in heaven. Then in lines 8 through 11, Fanny writes, Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow over me. This is what I was trying to say from lines 1 through 4 and throughout my little ministry, that Jesus was our sacrifice. His blood was the payment for our sins and his Holy Spirit, our counselor, as we walk with him. And if we stay near the cross, which interpreted to me can be as simple as living Isaiah 26.3, where the prophet tells us that God keeps those whose minds are stayed on him in perfect peace. When we keep our minds fixed on God, we are flooded with inner peace, an inexplicable peace, a perfect peace that only comes from above. And it can be as simple, albeit time-consuming, and yes, beneficial, as the foot of the cross meditation practice that I referred to earlier in this podcast and in many other episodes. Finally, in lines 12 through 15, Fanny writes, Near the cross... I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting, ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. This, I feel, refers to those of us who desire to be in the courts of the Lord today, to be in God's presence now, even in the here and now. And yet, we are doing our best with what God gave us and with all the time we have left, living this life and having a job and a family and honeydew lists and all the things that compete with our mind and our conscious and our focus, but yet we still have time that we can carve out day to day, week to week, and month to month to bring as many souls into the joy of God's light and love. And as I alerted to earlier, we plant a seed. If we plant an actual seed in the garden, in an actual garden, we come back day by day and we do not see a sprout. It can be discouraging. It may take weeks of looking and watering and looking, and we wait, and we depend on God to do the rest. Now, eventually, that actual seed in the actual garden will sprout, or it should sprout. Some seeds don't germinate. Um, But if you plant enough seeds, they will sprout. But even if you sat there the whole time, the growth would be too slow for your eyes to see. But your waiting and watching won't negate the fact that that plant will eventually flower and fruit. So, What I'm saying is we have chance encounters with everyone in our lives. If we just love with the love of Jesus to them, we're playing a part in that person's life. So consider your life, wondering when God's angels will ferry you across that proverbial Jordan River into the reward of heaven from your time in the sowing fields, in the battlefields, in the harvest fields of our Lord. Always trusting that the Lord is involved in the intentions of our day-to-day activities, like watering the sprouts in our actual garden or sharing the love with people we meet and as we depend on him to assist us in achieving our destiny in him and for the kingdom of heaven we ask ourselves what are our daily intentions what is your daily intention if your intention is to get through your work day an evening meal entertainment on the huge monitor in your front room then might i suggest you consider a new set of daily intentions spoiler alert That last one, especially the news, would be a healthy one to possibly cut out for now and create new intentions that involve daily bread and the living water to nourish and equip you and intentions for sharing that love with those around you at work, 
at the grocery store, wherever and however, even if just a loving smile with the intention of Jesus watering their sprout in their life, a plant that was planted by another person, you just know that your smile and the love through that smile is playing a part. If you do not keep your mind stayed on Christ, your life can be filled with worry, anxiety, fear, and doubt. But if you do keep your mind on Christ, it could be instead filled with things that are true, just, pure, lovely, admirable, and fruitful. And of course, if anybody listening who has not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate on what he did for you through his ministry, through his life, through his death on the cross and resurrection, and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to heal the painful parts of your soul and and mind. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this week's image, the Passover, along with my other verspirations, then check out Magi Cross on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise through the Magi Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, or read further meditative musings on the cross through my blog, then log on to magicross.com. That is. M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S dot com.